I am here to update you on the upcoming releases from Persistent Vision Records. You can pre-order the incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath. The album is called The Land Is Not An Idle God. They are a dark, melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. Hit up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 183. And my guest this week is none other than Martin Stewart. This man has played guitar in a lot of bands, including Terror, including God's Hate, including Donnybrook. The list is very long. Our friends over at uh, Hard Lord did a great episode with him where they actually went through every single band that he's ever been in. It was very entertaining. So I would uh, advise you to check that out if you haven't heard that. Um, but also, he is one of the heads over at Sound and Fury, the incredible hardcore festival that happens here in California. They just announced the first wave of bands, and that is on sale now. So between Sound and Fury and Terror being one of the most active bands in the entire world... I figured what a time to have Martine come on the show. And uh, Tara actually has a European tour that they leave for. Uh, it's happening March 22nd. That's the first show. Uh, it's from March 22nd to April 7th. So if you are one of our wonderful European listeners, check out those dates. You don't want to miss that because as you know, as we all know, Tara, just about the best live band there is. And hey, if you're not a firsty which is the label that my wonderful editor Ryan came up with uh, for my longtime listeners who are the best. Um, if you're not a firstie and you're new here, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where there is a bonus episode available right now where Martine answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by paying only $3 a month. And if you yourself want to be the kind of person that submits questions to guests, you should sign up for the $7 tier or the $10 tier. It helps support the show, but the $3, the $3 ones gets you access to uh, all those bonus episodes. Plus, I do a radio show over there. We have an awesomely active Discord channel over there. I'm about to actually leave for tour in Australia. And whenever I'm on tour, I do a little tour journal to keep everybody updated with what's going on and how it's going. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, it really helps support the show and it means a whole lot. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with the ultimate almighty, the one and only Martine Stewart. What's up, Martine? It is nice to see you. Good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Started uh started my day early. I've been I've been do, I've been kind of crazy this um this week. I've been going to the gym at six in the morning. You're and, one of those uh, all have you, they, have you ever have you ever been that guy? Or is this new no, to you? I mean when I was in high school, I don't remember what like maybe a junior in high school, um, I was on the football team and I would do uh, two gym sessions a day. So one of them was before school started. So that was like in 98 or something. That was the last time right. I did something like this. But um, I just recently got back from Japan and coming back, my sleep schedule was totally messed up. So I was waking up early regardless. So I just kind of took advantage of that. And now I'm continuing on with it. So it feels pretty good. I mean, it changes the day completely you know and i'm actually oh tired at night you know like i when i fall asleep it's like oh my god i just shut down completely and it's uh it's pretty it feels pretty good yeah yeah there's something um really impressive about when you start your life that early where all of a sudden when you get to like when it's like noon you're like oh my god i feel like i've lived an entire day already and i still have Man. so much i can do exactly exactly and it's like uh, I don't know, man. It's it's one of those things where when you do it, you feel like you're in this different, like, part of society or something. Like, people who do cold plunges, how they always want to talk to you about their cold plunge. Oh, oh uh, by the way, I do this, you know? And it's, it's I, I kind of feel like that right now, where it's like, <laughs> I feel like I have this leg up on a lot of people. Like, yeah, I start my day early. <laughs> right. I just, uh, so. a couple weeks ago, I had uh, Jason from, like, Fever 333 on oh, like yeah, I talk, yeah. I, I, he's an old friend and we were catching yeah, up and he was like he, he's like yeah i wake he's like i go on a run at six in the morning every day and i'm Ooh. just like yeah dude i was like <laughs> i get it because like you're the you're obviously like the cardio master but oh like my God, I, he is yeah he is just like a he's a different <laughs> type of person man I, i'm you know i'm aiming to get at least somewhere in that vicinity of person i do i don't run on the street but when I get to the gym in the morning, the first thing I do is run on the stupid treadmill. It's like, yeah, the worst thing ever. I hate doing it, but my brother always tells me, you know, you should do something, one thing every day that you hate to do. Oh. Just kind of like, you know, get yeah. yourself in that mindset of like, hey, stop being, you know, a wimp about certain things. So I do that totally. every morning now. And it's like, yeah, it definitely makes you feel a little bit better about some things. Yeah. So. No, I feel Try. it. I feel it. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, you mentioned you mentioned uh, when you did like football. Was football something that you were pursuing when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of sports. Uh, me and my brother both. My father was always a big sports fan and encouraged us to play sports as kids. And you know, we did soccer, football, baseball, all of it. And um, <clears throat> I thought I wanted to do it seriously and i tried in high school and then legitimately punk rock came along and just you know in my head at that time i was like man because you're supposed to practice do over the summer and i was like man there's no way in hell i'm going to be going to football practice instead of going to shows and you know oh yeah going to buy yeah so that like that totally changed my trajectory and um i also never i played again <laughs> i also feel like especially at the time because you and i are are kind of close in age, like pretty close in age i think um yeah. there was more of like a societal divide between like rock and jock 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Whereas was, like uh, now I feel like no one would give a shit, you know, like or yeah. it wouldn't affect your mindset. But I remember like, yeah, when I was in high, like I graduated in 2001 and, okay, yeah. and like, I, even at that time, I felt like there was a uh, man, if you like punk, you cannot like sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that was for sure much more prominent then. It's funny to think about it. Like, uh, I wonder what it was like being on the East Coast and like, you know, whatever in the late 80s and the early 90s when, uh, you know, hardcore kids were sports guys, you know, and that was like yeah. a huge shift. You know, you could see it on the layouts of albums where it was like it went from dudes looking like punks and stuff like that to dudes wearing varsity jackets and yeah, like Nike head head to toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that must have been like a very cool shift happening at that time, you know. Yeah, totally. So you're from Whittier, right? Yes. Yeah. Whittier. Born born and raised. Born and raised. Yeah. I mean, I was born in downtown LA, but um, I spent like a little bit of time in uh, Montebello, which is also okay. on the east east side. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, pretty shortly after that, moved to, moved to Whittier. And so that's like where I did all my growing up was, was in Whittier, going to school and everything. So yeah. It's one of the early touche shows was at a place called the green turtle the was green that place, turtle Dude, was that it's place so, around forever i don't I, yeah and, and i just passed by it uh, like recently and the building is still there it still has a sign and everything i'm not sure if it's open but this is a crazy thing is like i i never actually went there oh, i never okay. been to i never been to a show there when shows were happening there often i would always see the flyers and stuff but this was at a point of time where uh, I I feel like I just started playing with terror and I was on the road a lot like you know nine ten months out of the year I was gone so <laughs> let's be honest as if that's changed yeah it's got, it's gotten a little bit better but uh, I don't know it just felt it felt crazy yeah. back then that was a time in my life where I wasn't even do doing anything in between tours because I didn't have time really to even sure. hold a life down it was just like get home and then sit around and wait for the next tour, which would be coming up soon. So, right. I, so that was at a time where I would see and hear about the green turtle popping off and it would blow my mind because I'm like, Oh my God, this is it's like place down the street. show. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously down the street from where I grew up and everything. And uh, I never got to go there. I re I have this very vivid memory of one of the only times I went to a show where we didn't have to like, get on the freeway and make a adventure out of it you know like going to the showcase 30 40 minutes away uh it was a show in la mirada which is it's like one of the first cities you get to in orange county when yeah. you're going east from la and uh it was at an old bank and it was called i believe they called it the gotham club i don't think it even lasted for that long and it was to say um, that doesn't register at all yeah, I think it was like it was this time period where like Strife, AFI, Good Riddance, all these bands were like always playing together. And I think it was a common some form of combination of those bands, like maybe Sick of It All, Strife, AFI, Good Riddance, something like that. And that was yeah one of the only times in my childhood where it was like, oh, let's go to a show and then just jump in the car and drive five minutes down the street, you know, yeah, uh, on, just on surface streets. And I was we you know, we, we were really excited. I remember being like, wow, we, now we have this venue super close. And then it was just gone. Like oh. never, <laughs> never saw another show there again or anything. The and, ultimate 
like just just the ultimate situation of just southern california venues in general like i know you've dealt with this probably for so many years but uh it was always so annoying when you would be booking a tour and people on the east coast or wherever midwest in the south would would help you out with the show and then they'd be like hey like you know my band's coming out to the west coast and you know in three months could you help me out with the show and he'd be like here's the deal i can <laughs> i can book you a show today but by the uh, time you get here the venue probably the won't venue be might anymore. be <laughs> the venue might be gone yeah so like it's, so like yeah. can, can we confirm the show two weeks before you're here i know oh, that's right, kind of right. a pain in the ass but like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it, I mean, like, just off the top of my head, uh, like, there was a. Do you remember a venue in downtown LA called Motion LA? Did you ever play that spot? Man, that I have like a vague memory of the name, but it was like, like across that, the street from the smell, basically. But it was like, it, what, okay, what are the, okay, where there's like, or the like Workman Circle, like all of those spots that, like, yeah, exist, existed for six months and were thriving, and then and someone then just. Was, and, kids would fuck it up in some capacity yeah i guess that would usually be uh, i I don't really know what would happen because i was at that time i wasn't really like on the other side of things so i don't know the behind the scenes of why all these venues were getting shut down but i assume it has something to do with that like people destroying the bathrooms or you know i don't know just loitering and the the neighborhood complaining or something like that but yeah yeah. it makes me think of like the days of coos cafe where there was like what like three or four different iterations of it i remember it was in like one it was in long beach at one time it was in two different places in garden grove i think yeah yeah that was the first the first time i ever went there was it was in garden grove and it was like it was like a house right that yes the original location was a was a house yes yeah and they converted it to a well didn't even convert it i mean they didn't do anything (laughs) in the living room yeah (laughs) yeah there was no actual like aside from the sound system it wasn't a venue and even the sound system wasn't you know much yeah i just interviewed (laughs) uh i just interviewed i don't know if you i'm sure you know him from just years from just being around but uh justin justin smith he plays in like uh graf orlock and oh yeah yeah, yeah. and all those sorts of bands he's been around forever uh, he right. was in like As Hope Dies back in the As day, like, Di- wait. which used to be in reply. In reply, it was a, right. in reply, and then changed to As Hope Dies. Yeah, which is crazy. Exactly. And talking to Justin, we we probably spent at least ten minutes on Coos Cafe, just like the amount oh, of crazy shows that he saw there. Yeah, that was man. That was the mecca for a second. Well, I mean, I guess Showcase was always kind of like the true mecca, and for for as long as my existence. But uh, yeah. Coos had a very, very sharp impact in the middle of all that. You know, Showcase was my first place, but then Coos came around and it was like, wow, this place is incredible. Such a different vibe and way smaller and everything. And just yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. Cool in place. my notes, I actually in my notes actually, I I'm I wrote to like bring up Showcase to you because you strike me as someone that that could speak on the importance of that spot because do you agree that it kind of feels like it's a lost to time conversation at this point? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I always, I have these, uh, these rumors always pop up that it's coming back and <laughs> like, I don't have any, that, that doesn't excite me at all. I'm kind of like, right. just, you know, leave it, you know, it had, it, it had its time and place and it's just, it is what it is. I'd be so interested to walk in the room and look at it with the eyes that I have in my oh, head now. 
yeah, it's probably the size of a bedroom. It, you, totally. it felt like the it felt like the biggest place ever. Absolutely, then, uh, like like I have some, you know, I, the first thing I think of is like watching kids jump off the fucking the balcony, balcony. the little balcony, which wasn't yeah. even really like. I guess it was technically a balcony, but man, it was tiny, right? Like where all the bands could table. Somehow... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one merch table, but five bands crammed onto it. Yeah, it was so crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was. Uh... I haven't. Have you driven by there in the last handful of years? Like, is the space actually still there? Yeah, yeah, it's still there. It's empty. Uh, the stuff around it is still there as well. Like the the ninety nine like cents. Ninety nine cents still store, there. Yeah. Yeah, there was there wasn't really much around there, you know. It's kind of a weird little shot, little strip mall or whatever. But uh, I have driven by. It's like, is the marquee so, still up? Yeah, the marquee. Last time I was there, the marquee is there, but it's, it's wow. obviously blank. But um, if I'm if I happen to be on the ninety one going past there, I'll just shoot off the freeway real quick because it's right there, you know. Like yeah. Just right off the freeway. It. So yeah, just go look at it, drive by for like two seconds and then just pop back on. But yeah, that it's, it's just like a, I don't know, man, it makes no sense that that place was as cool as it was, you know, it's so inconveniently located and like, yeah, not did you really. Find yourself, did you find yourself going to showcase more than like chain or were they kind of equal for you? I would say they were equal because I started going to chain when it was still a public storage coffee house. Right. And, but I, I would just go to punk shows there. I didn't even, I feel like at the time I wasn't even like fully, fully aware of what the hardcore scene was, you know, it was totally. just kind of like, I just went to, we went to everything, you know, whatever it was and didn't really definitively call things different things, you know? So, but I started going to punk shows at, uh, at chain reaction I don't, man, I wish I could remember what year I first went there, but uh, it was it was very very early on, so I was going to both. I would say equally. Got it for, for yeah for many years, and then and then at one point, chain just took over. Took over, you know, yeah, shit, totally. Yeah, and it was everything. You know, um, that's another place. I mean, with like a weird location, like kind of like shitty little strip mall, and yeah, and, uh, and I. You know, I'm sure we're jumping ahead a bit because I don't want to get too much into like some of your first shows before we before we get there. But like, okay, I almost kind of feel like, you know, I, I feel kind of heartbroken for Chain too because, like, in a way, I feel like it's lost its uh its importance to kids now. Like, it doesn't seem to be thriving as much as it used to. In that, yeah. in that sense, and I, I don't I don't really know what that is a response to. I think what I, I feel like from my point of view, it's that yeah. like the actual city of Los Angeles became a little more aware and important and, you know, venues, there's so many venues started Popping sticking up. around and do, yeah. And doing a lot of shows within actual city limits and it just became the new, yeah. Everything just kind of shifted that little, you know, 20, 30 minutes up North and changed because of it like that that i feel like that era of a venue that shouldn't have really ever been cool because there's nothing around it you know it's it's yeah, just like yeah. in the middle of it's like so suburban you know what i mean and yeah. uh, i th i think that younger people kind of got spoiled with all these other venues that are like so conveniently located or like you know right 
right in the that heart is well of said. a lot of stuff, yeah. you know. So I, I think that's my that's my viewpoint. But uh, no, that and that makes a lot of sense. Know. Also, I mean, I I think not to get too into the weeds and too inside baseball, but I also feel like so many of those of the LA venues especially now like being owned by bigger companies and a lot of the bands that would be playing chain all kind of, you know, like if we were to move time around, like all pretty much have booking agents at this point who are probably getting more money out of spots that are owned by the bigger companies and stuff like that. So like all of that also like the, unfortunately though chain now at least has some stuff around it. Like you could at least walk to fucking target or whatever. Target. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but, for sure. Yeah. Where, and like, but I remember back when you'd be able to, you'd be able to sort of like park kind of wherever. And now yeah. you're going to get fucking towed anywhere. Oh, totally. around there. Yeah, yeah. So like that yeah. also kind of becomes a bit of more of a pain in the ass, but anyway, yeah, it was a, I'm happy that at least, you know, we got to experience some, pretty special stuff oh, while it was driving you know absolutely yeah and it's you know i've been there multiple times and you know in a short period of time it's like there's things are still happening there it's just yeah. that it's it's Not now spread out can... yeah 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 because volume. it used to it's just everything went to chain and now it's like okay now you have the choice of four or five other places as well and you know so it all it really just all depends yeah absolutely but, absolutely yeah. um well, yo, so I was curious. So I know you and your brother, how close are you in age? Uh, he's two years older than I am. Okay. So that's pretty close. So that's that, that, yeah. in, that involves a lot of overlap for sure. When it comes to like getting into stuff, I'm sure. But the question, the 100%. first also is he, is he your only sibling? I have, I have sisters, but uh, they're half sisters and they're much, much older than we are. Okay. So, you know, we didn't, they weren't in the home. Like we didn't grow up with them. Type of thing. Totally. So. Uh, so the first question they usually ask musicians is, uh, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played by your folks, uh, people you were growing up with, but I, I guess if there's something that you found that maybe your brother wasn't even into something that like kind of was yours. I remember like, so my parents love music and music was always being played in the house. And there's like records everywhere and that kind of thing so uh, awesome. music was always a thing for us and uh i remember the first like the first band that i felt like i'm into this because i heard it and i like it regardless of anybody else was tears for fears oh cool and uh yeah and i i got it was a, it was the first record i ever bought was um a seven inch like a 45 single of shout because that was just like the biggest song in the, the world song, in, the, yeah. in, in the 80s and probably into the 90s. It was still huge. But uh, yeah, so that was one of the first things that, because my parents didn't listen to that. So it was fully on my own volition, like to, to listen to Tears for Fears. Like they were listening to Bob Marley and Marvin Gaye and things like that, you know, and so. Was it a product of like the radio? You finding it on the radio? Was it a product of MTV? MTV was popping off at that time. Yeah, it, it had to have been one or the two. I would assume that it was the radio at that time. I listened to the radio a lot back then and K-Rock yeah. was just like popping. It was the coolest thing. I don't know about so much now, but uh, back then, heart, yeah, yeah, it was like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't fully have a, you know, a, a full memory of it, but I would assume it was from the radio. Could have been MTV easily, though, because MTV definitely 
influenced a lot of my musical taste as uh, as a young young kid like headbangers ball and yeah 20 minutes and all that yeah so totally totally beavis and butthead beavis and butthead man that was like huge there's <laughs> so many cool things on there the amount of uh bands that i discovered even if beavis and butthead were shitting on them yeah you know yeah because no. like because <laughs> they weren't you know like they weren't going to show some of those music videos that they were watching on you know in the middle of the day on right on mtv yeah. regularly you know what i'm saying like <laughs> they weren't showing like yeah. ween and like fucking yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah yeah for sure oh my god ween yeah that's a <laughs> That's a yeah, one, but... it's a very specific Beavis and Mudhead music video situation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. What about, uh, what was the first album that you remember like buying yourself with your own money or like, you know, maybe gifted to you or something like that, that you chose? It, it was that it was tears for fears for sure. Yeah. That was like okay. my, my first one. That was like the record that I owned. That was mine. And I would listen to it on, I have, I still have it. I just packed it. I have a, the Fisher Fisher price record player, you know, the like, yeah, it's all in all, all in one thing. You just pop it open and I would listen to it on that and just over and over and over again, you know? So you bought the and, LP uh, of it. No, it was just, it was a single. It was an, it was a, it was a 45 single. Of oh, shout. Oh, oh. I think there was, I think there was a song on the other side. I don't remember what it was though. And, but, and I don't remember ever flipping the record flipping. over. I just sure, like, just I had, listen to sh- I yeah. just need this. <laughs> yeah i'm fuck good with shout. anything else yeah fuck anything else is band rights i just need shout. <laughs> yeah. and uh you know i did end up later on in life loving most of what they did i mean there is such a i still listen to them today you know like incredible band but yeah yeah that was that was my first my first one yeah what was uh what was your first concert uh, so you know i remember i have these memories of uh my brother and I going to going to like backyard parties, you know, since we don't have basement shows in LA, you know, like the equivalent would be backyard parties. Cause in Whittier, there was like a pretty thriving punk scene, especially when you went uptown, like above Whittier Boulevard, there was always like, it was like a suburbia style. Like there was always a group of punks hanging out, like real deal movie looking punks, you know, mohawks yeah. and ch- chains and leather jackets and stuff like that so punk was always kind of from my experience was always prominent and wittier for some weird reason and there was bands a lot of local bands like um on my street that i grew up on there was this kid who he played oh shit i can't remember what instrument he played or what he did in the band but there was this band called brotherhood of death and 
Matt Cothran. Matt Cothran, who sings in the Bronx, the Bronx was yeah. in that band. Yeah, Whoa. he was in that band. I don't know what he did in the band. He, I'm not sure if he played an instrument or sang or whatever. But uh, yeah, so there was them. And then there was like, there was a few other bands like Spit for Brains, Animal Camp. They were just like straight up punk bands, you know, and they would play parties all the time. And so I remember going to like backyard shows like that. But then the first time I ever went to like, you know, go to go to uh, Tower Records, buy a Ticketmaster ticket for a show was for the Vandals at uh, at Showcase. Oh, okay. So, so the Showcase was like my first real venue experience. And uh, yeah. It, okay, I, so, I, few, so you I don't had, remember the exact year, but 93, so 94, had, somewhere. You found punk and yeah. you were like actively like, paying attention to like okay this band that i like whose cd i have like whether it was like live fast diarrhea like one of those, one of those. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you're like i'm gonna go see do you remember who else played i do not man i wish i could I, i'm assuming i can pretty much assume who was playing thinking about the time period uh yeah. all i i think it was all local bands because the vandals were the headliners and then it was probably a band like backside was a band from riverside of corona that would play every punk show and then like assorted jelly beans was like this uh ska band ska core band kind of yeah. like like operation ivy ish you know and then uh white caps you know saw oh, them man. all the time they were like another like kind of skate punk band from the area so i would assume it was some sort of mixture of those bands but i don't i wish i could like i've tried researching and finding a flyer or something with that show on it and it just lost to time i guess i'll never I'll especially never because the way showcase would advertise in like la weekly and stuff like th- like there's got to be the lost page that shows yeah the first show that you went to somewhere <laughs> totally you know i like i remember it so well to going all the uh, this was in the early 90s and my brother had a driver's license when he was really young like 15 and a half and uh uh-huh. we had this a family friend gifted us this like little shitty car and so my parents would let my brother drive it and so me and him and uh our childhood friend patrick we drove all the way out to showcase you know and it's crazy like breaking out the thomas guide type of thing like looking at an actual map trying to or and if you i think if you called the showcase like joe showcase would he would be the he would like leave a message, you know? And so you listen to this message and he would tell you the show's coming up. And I oh, think right. he used to give you directions as well. Like exit main street off the 91 East type of thing. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. So we go all the way out there and then like, I, I have the perfect memory of walking into that place and it felt like a movie, you know, it was like dark and there was like black lights and stuff. And there's punks like sitting on the floor and like, it just looked like dangerous and weird and, just you know being nervous like wow what is what is this going to be like you know seeing the pit for the first time oh my god um, yeah it was really it was really intense and really awesome and really uh did a number on me that was like one of the coolest experiences going to the showcase theater for the first time and you know the vandals like that was a it was a sketchy show you know it was some like sketchy characters in a at a show like that in the early 90s you know it was, it was really cool yeah i mean there's such a feeling and i and i i'm sure that feeling still exists for young kids now even though things are obviously for the in the in a lot of better ways so much more inclusive but like you right when you walk into a show when you're young the first time 
like you it, it's you feel like all eyes are on you that you're this like you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I, like man am i wearing the right thing like everybody right. here, everybody here seems to already all know each other and yeah yeah it's like, like you imagine the yeah. yeah it's like though i'm sure no one has looked at you they don't give a shit but like you right. have in your head the idea of like the needle scratch scene from like yeah, walking into a party and... yeah it's like who the fuck are you you know kind of a yeah, thing no um, absolutely absolutely yeah that was a very real feeling that i remember having for a while too of even like i would say years of going to shows before i finally before we, you know, our little neighborhood group, before we finally branched out and met other people that from other cities and, and then realized the whole, you know, community aspect of it. Because before that, it was just like, I felt like it was us against everybody. We were just like, yeah. we know each other and I don't know about anybody else, you know? So yeah, it took a while to get over that feeling of like, you know, just not feeling a part of it, even though yeah. that's like one of the main things of it all is you know being a part of it so yeah what uh when did you get interested in wanting to play music what you mentioned your parents were very musical were they playing music yeah, at yeah. All? no they weren't playing music but uh like my father played piano when he was young and um but he was his crazy story he was born left-handed and mm -hmm. his family forced him to not be left-handed so because you know at the, in those yeah. times it was like kind of like a sign of evil if you were left-handed <laughs> so oh they God. they made him they made him be right-handed that like kind of like messed up his orientation and he always liked playing piano but he, he he would tell me that he couldn't really he could never get a hang of it because of that whole thing of like not oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah not knowing his left from his right but um he you know at a very very young age he bought me like a, a little casio keyboard you know, and then tried to like motivate me to be musical. And and so I did, I loved that thing. I would like play around with that thing all the time. Did you but just like, with it? no, no lessons. It was just like legitimately like at home messing around with it, like using a little beat thing and like trying to mimic songs that I heard on the radio and stuff like that. And then uh, it wasn't until the whole punk thing came around where I was like, okay, I want to play an instrument because yeah. I want to, I want like these people are so cool, you know, look what they're doing and they're, you know, they, they got this figured out. So that's when I wanted to actually play an instrument. That was like early on, like started going to punk shows like in the early nineties and then sh like pretty, pretty quickly was like, I, I think I want to do that. I want to try doing that. So, so was, so was the guitar the first move uh, aside from the keyboard? <laughs> it was bass and all bass because I had this friend at the time who I've talked about on many like podcasts before this kid, Jimmy Hawkins. He was like my, my best friend at the time. He was also like this punk rock kid and had Mohawk and everything. And, uh, he, uh, he played guitar. And okay. so we like, would talk casual, about like, Oh, like if you're playing guitar, yeah. then play bass. Yeah. And then yeah. I'll play bass. Yeah. And it was like yeah. the first time I started thinking about and talking about like, let's have a band. And, yeah. uh, that's where the first band I ever it was in formed out of that friendship. And uh, I learned how to play. Yeah, I just, it was crazy, man. My, my father, like, God bless him. He was so, he was the coolest, you know. He uh, told, I told him, like, yeah, I want to I wanna play bass. And he's like, okay. Took me to a pawn shop, got me a bass. Just like yeah. that, quick, you know. What and kind of bass was it? So, it was just like a, it was a black and white, like, standard issue. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, Squire, 
Squire base, P days. You know, like, yeah, like very, you know, standard. Totally. Like and it's, uh, man, it's insane because I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know, like, I didn't know you had to change strings. I didn't know how to tune it. And my my homie Jimmy, he didn't really know too much either. We would just like, we just kind of like Both figured it out somehow. Yeah. Bouncing off each other, trying to make it work. Yeah. 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 And I used to like, I used to hang out at his house sometimes, like after school and stuff. He didn't live that far from me, like walking distance. And we would like sit in his bedroom and he had a, like a little tiny, he had, a, he had this guitar. It was called the Bender instead of a Fender. It had a B, you know, like total oh piece of shit knockoff guitar yeah yeah and uh and so we would just like sit in his room and like mess around with that guitar that was before i got the bass like that's where i first picked up an instrument was like okay i think this is how this works you know like you put your hands here and your fingers do this and blah 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 do you remember the first song that you learned how to play where you were like oh my god i'm actually playing it like and it sounds like the thing i'm actually trying to play it's crazy i mean like i picked that up pretty easily like mimicking a song that i already heard because i used to do that all the time like i said to the keyboard and uh the first song i ever learned was misfits london dungeon like oh nice just that like little opening riff and then and then i remember the second song i learned was uh by that band conflict Um, oh yeah it was um it was a mighty and superior Cause that had like a little single note. So I started with like the little single note things, you know, like, Oh, I can do, I can use my one finger to do this. And, uh, and which then. Is the, like, which is the cheat code with learn with like, especially having a bass be your first instrument. Cause like. Exactly. Yeah, the stuff yeah. you're listening to, unless, you know, unless you're trying to like figure out like fucking operation Ivy or something like that. It's, right. <laughs> it's probably... Yeah. I mean, at that point in my life, that might as well have been like Mozart, you know, like I right, couldn't yeah. even imagine trying to figure that stuff out. Yeah, like, thank God but, Rancid wasn't your favorite band in the entire world yeah. and you were trying to learn bass because it's fucking impossible. They, they, ended up, they ended up being one of my favorite bands ever, like, a little while after that. But, uh, and even to the stage. Like yeah, of good, course. Yeah. Pretty fucking I'm good a band. Pretty good bass player. I'm a pretty good bass player, but, like, even that, I still am, like, dude. This Astonishing. Shit, uh, Matt Freeman is playing. is just, like, uh, unreal. Astonishing. Yeah. 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 So, and then, you know, then I got more comfortable with that and the band started and blah, blah, blah. I played bass for a while, but then I, I started to feel like I wanted to play guitar and kind of learned how to play a power chord. And then um, the first song on actual guitar that I ever learned how to play was uh, gutter mouth, Bruce Lee versus kiss army. Like it's one of the, it's one of the early, <laughs> it's like on the, one of the EPs that they put two EPs together on one record. Uh-huh. And, um, and it had all those like old, go- I mean, the, all their songs are super goofy. Goofy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. But you know, I was just, uh, I always loved the riff of that song. So I was like, if I'm gonna learn how to play guitar, I'm gonna learn, you know, this song. And I did. I, I ended up learning how to play it, and and that you know, was like something yeah. I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about uh, the bands that potentially played the Vandal show. You know, sort of Jelly Beans and like White Caps and yeah. all these sort of backside, all these sort of bands. Like, did you find, was it, was it interesting to you to discover that once you started touring as much as you did and meeting people and becoming friends with people like all across the country and stuff, that that is such a unique to California experience? <laughs> oh like, my God. Yes, absolutely. It, it comes, it, it's come up a handful of times on this show, but something that I always think about is like, for me, a band like No Effects, it, it was like, mm-hmm. 
you were just for me it felt like everybody every kid just had punk and drub like put in their fucking right, mailbox right, right? <laughs> but it's like you yeah, talk to yeah. someone from boston they're like that is the last band that any of us had any interest in yeah yeah that came that became very apparent once i started touring and you know finally got over to the east coast and realized that you know it's it's very uh, regional especially yeah. when it comes to punk like that you know like uh west coast punk was was very west coast and it's it's like kind of yeah like you said it's rare you, you you talk to people about it and they're like yeah we weren't listening to that but then you find one person amongst 20 or something and it's like that was their whole identity it's like an east coast person that's just like west coast punk is the greatest thing ever i love pennywise and no yeah, effects of bad religion and stuff like that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah so it's like it's like they were either like hell no you know we only listen to you know, negative effects and SSD and shit like that. And then, you know, yeah, I, I mean, like, <laughs> I think in, besides no effects, like a very specific situation is like bad religion felt like they were the biggest band in the world because K-Rock played them, but like, right. They weren't yeah, getting that same, they weren't getting that same airplay and fucking, you know, Baltimore yeah, yeah. Like that, I never, you know? yeah. That's something that I never realized that, you know, I didn't even realize that K-Rock I, I just figured that whatever K-Rock was playing here, that everyone was hearing the same thing everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, so I didn't even think about that sort of thing back then. But that that is how I heard Bad Religion for the first time was on the radio. And that's... For sure. They, they are the band that changed everything for me. You know, it was like, that was when I, me and my brother both realized, like, we are punks. Like, we, we want to be punk rockers. Was it uh was it like the Stranger Than Fiction record? Because that was like kind of the bigger radio. It one. was before that because um what's it called uh the song Stranger Than no no uh oh uh twenty first twenty first century digital boy was it that one was on yeah it was also on a previous record right you know what you nailed it it's it's uh yeah it's twenty first century is it twenty first century yeah because then that ended up being they made a video for it and it was on MTV all the time on. Not on Headbangers Ball, but maybe like, uh, I guess 120, 120 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, they would play stuff like that. Yeah, so, so yeah, that uh, that was like the change, the changing of it all for for the both of us was hearing Bad Religion, and I mean, they're still one of my favorite bands. But like, my brother is still like is die hard as they come for Bad Religion. That is like his end all be all. end all be all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so not to you know well in a way it was helpful but uh not to step on our friends uh show over it at hard lore but i watched part of the live show where you guys do talk about some early band stuff but i wanted to sort of dig a little <laughs> yeah. deeper into that shout out <laughs> right. Colin and Buck. Um, <laughs> yeah. but you mentioned the first band being a band called yeah. the bandits is that correct yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So this is the show with you and your friend. I'm sorry, this is the band with you. Oh, and the your band friend. with yeah, me and my friend Jimmy Hopkins. We started a band and like, uh, I don't think we ever played a show. Not that I can remember, but uh, we definitely had a band. We had songs and we were practice and everything, you know. So we had like like three or I would say three songs. Um, okay. And were they like never recorded punk? anything? Were they like yeah, punk, just like skate punk songs? Yeah, like I would say. Yeah, like skate punk, you know, every song was two riffs, verse and chorus, and each riff was like three notes max type of thing, you know, like very stripped down, simplified stuff. Um, and we so, sang about stupid things, you know, it was funny. 
<laughs> so the next band you mentioned was called No Allegiance. Yeah, yeah, that and like that was. Uh, I don't know exactly like the time. I feel like things kind of happened quick. Where it, like I started, I was still playing bass in that band, but I I started to just like understand what I wanted to do a lot more very fast. Where you know things started getting more aggressive and like when we when we got into punk, it was like so headfirst into everything so it went from you know bad religion is the only punk band to like man just going just deep into everything and consuming as much music as possible and like we really started getting into like the whole power violence thing because being in los angeles or all you know or even in california you know there was so many so many legendary bands and especially in the neighborhood that you were in yeah like, like totally the mexi, yeah the mexi punk like crust exactly thing is so thriving and I, yeah. it's one of the coolest vote very region specific things that i think california like southern california has for sure yeah and that was uh we you know we were so about it and uh so that second band definitely took a, a more aggressive turn kind of like in the the d beat kind of things like we were really listening to a lot of discharge and stuff like that so uh um, so was that the first band that you played a show with that was the that's the first show I ever remember playing. Yeah, and it, crazy like there's video evidence of this show. Like the kid Jimmy Hopkins, it was his birthday party, and uh, his he had a band, and our band played, and maybe another yeah another another friend's band who um, is like an old friend of mine who ended up we did music together for years and years after that. Um, his band played, and yeah, his mom was walking around with a little you know video camera just filming everything so there's like actual footage of us playing the show and it was it's so sick it's like when i I had forgotten about it and then like i reconnected with jimmy hopkins like decades after you know we kind of grew apart of course and he he's like man i have this tape of that show i'll mail it to you so he mails it to me and i couldn't watch it so i drop it off at costco and costco will they do the conversion oh, thing you just drop off any yeah 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 so they digitize it to me so i had this dvd and i remember getting it back and like getting home like holy shit this is gonna be so awesome put it in the first like 30 minutes is this bullshit like people hanging around at the party and then the show starts and it's just like chaos like you know a bunch of 13 year old kids or something 13 14 year old kids like moshing in this backyard like there's actual skin there's like a dude with boots and braces and a bomber jacket and like punks with mohawks and then us not on stage but like in his little under his like gazebo or whatever in the backyard like terrified you could see the looks on our faces like oh my god we're you know we're playing a live show this is insane but you know and i listen to the music and i'm like i mean this isn't the worst thing ever it's actually pretty (laughs) cool like (laughs) That's the true, that's the true test of revisiting that when you're like you're starting yeah. to be like oh boy let's see how how out of tune we are or like yeah. how you know whatever our our uh, amps sounded like if you could even hear the oh, vocals man oh, yeah I can't even ima- I can't imagine what we were even playing out of like there's I didn't have equipment like I don't even know where I got an instrument cable from like right. did I tune I did I tune before the show did someone do it for me like I have no idea I have no memory of any of that stuff but do you thank god I have that dvd um you mentioned uh on the at the hard lord thing like 
having some sort of, I mean, you were obviously it was, it was amplified by having to do an interview in front of people, but like, are you someone that has stage fright? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, even right now talking, like knowing that, that, oh, absolutely. Knowing that someone will hear what I'm saying right now. I'm like, it just, it gets into my head and I'm just hyper aware of everything. And so definitely every, anytime we, I play a show with any band, doesn't matter how many people are in the crowd or whatever. It's, uh, it's always at least some level of nervousness happening. And sometimes it's really bad. What, what sets off the worst version of it? Is it like the amount of people? Is it, um, concern? Like, did you ever have some sort of cons- like really traumatic, like, Oh shit, nothing is nothing is working oh. on stage in front of a lot of people. <laughs> Only in my dreams. I have dreams like that where it's like I have these reoccurring nightmares where it's like I'm showing up to some festival or something and I'm just like, wait, I don't have any of my stuff. What's happening? What set are we playing? Or what's going on? You know, like this total panic mode. Like but, stress uh, dream. I've never, yeah. yeah, I've never had anything like that bad happen like that. But um definitely when you know, we Tara gets these opportunities to play these European summer festivals, which me and you have crossed paths there before. That's where I feel like I time. see you the most. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, you know what it's like when you get onto those stages, and they're like, you know, not. I'm not used to that. No matter how much we do it, and no matter how much we might tour, you know, maybe five percent of the time the stages are that big. So it's like not something that I ever feel like I'm used to. And, you know, you, you get up on these stages that are, that feel like they're a mile across, you know, like I'm so used to being right next to everyone playing in the band with me. And it's like, when you're on those stages, you look, look to your left or right. And like your bandmate is 20 feet away from, you, you know, it's, oh it's just God. this weird kind of feeling. And when there's a lot of people, I remember one of the first times getting to play one of those festivals and being put thrown out onto the main stage. And we were set up already ready to play, just kind of waiting till our set time. And I kept peeking around the <clears throat> the little backdrop and slowly but surely, like the big area is like filling up with people. And then it's like five minutes before we play and I look and it's just completely full of people. And I, I'm pretty sure they said it was like roughly 20,000 people. Yeah. And it was panic like i'm like how am i gonna do this what oh my god i'm freaking out and everything in the end it ended up being totally fine and i'm I'm always gonna get out there and do it regardless but i definitely feel the fear and um, there was only one time where i actually I, I, something sent me into a full-blown what i believe to be a panic attack yeah. and it was in it was our one and only time in uh manila we went to the philippines and we're set up to play we're setting up to play and the venue was clearly oversold, way too many people in there. It was like a thousand degrees. We're playing out of equipment. It was like the dream, you know, where yeah. it, it's like, it was like joke equipment. It was stuff that I just like was looking at it. Like, how am I supposed to play out of this? I'm trying to set my stuff up. We're crowded on the stage. There's all these people like, they're just like very excited that this so is happening. Excited. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, very yeah. like, yeah, yeah. They're just really excited. And so everyone's crowding around us while I'm trying to set up. And I started feeling like I couldn't breathe. It's definitely all in my head. And I was just like, ah, I just freaked out and kind of like pushed all these people out of my way, threw people down, ran outside and was 
pretty much like hyperventilating. I was like having to take deep breaths and I'm like in my head and I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to have to leave. I have to leave. And then I just kind of breathed for a little while and told myself I was being stupid and took one last deep breath and then went back inside. It was crazy, man. I was like, what is happening? And they like, I can't control my own brain right now. And, uh, you know, ended up being one of the most memorable shows that I've ever played. It was crazy and just really cool. But, uh, oh, man. Yeah. Other than that, you know, it's like there's always a general sense of nervousness when I'm getting on the stage, you know? Right. I mean, you know, I guess if you want to look at the positive on it, it's like it's nice to know that you're alive inside and that like <laughs> you ha- and that you haven't grown to you know not appreciate the situation it's like it's still scary and exciting to you which is like (laughs) for better or worse a positive you know what i'm saying yeah yeah no i i absolutely agree with that and um you know i feel like if that if you lose that then there's a huge chance that it's just gonna you know then you're just gonna lose motivation yeah you know then what do you do so I, i feel lucky to have that I'm going to I'm going to just for my own sake uh throw out there that I think uh what could be amplifying the situation is uh as someone who has played a lot of those European festivals not as many as you but quite a lot uh <laughs> the panic of the changeover uh where you have you have a monitor person who is half paying attention to you <laughs> Oh my god as you have like yeah. You have like six minutes to run through all of your yeah. fucking lines, like right. to be like, they, "Can I get more of this?" And like, no one's really helping. And then oh it's like, "Okay, God, you're yeah. on." There's, you know, and there's always the chance of a language barrier, and then yes. the chance of, you know, who who knows how many bands played before you or after you, and and uh, if they've been treated like shit all shit day, you all know, day. Some, totally. some sometimes you see these poor guys, and they're, you know, they look just petrified like Shell smoking cigs yeah just like oh my god i've been getting yelled at by the tech of iron maiden for fucking yeah. two hours or something like that you know you never know what what's going on because you guys like, do you guys travel with sound people uh we try to and when we do it's just like a front of house guy front of house like totally mul- yeah. it's never multiple people you know we've never had a, a monitor, monitor person or, or anything like that you know but you know we we do our best, you know, we make the little cheat sheets and always pass them out to people. But a lot of times they're not paying attention, you know? So. Exactly. It's always there's, there's like, many, okay. <laughs> there's many nightmare. When you think about it from that standpoint, it's a nightmare, you know, it's like things on stage sound awful and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it's totally fine. And we've probably endured worse. So we'll get through it. We always end up getting through it. You know, it's not going to, it's not a showstopper or a show ruiner or anything, you know, right. just, you just kind of kind of like fate, like tune it out and just focus on, you know, the show in front of you. And man, hopefully I, that's good. One in particular, not to, not to get too in the weeds, but like the last time we played together over there was just this last summer when we both were on, I think it was download in the UK. Um, you guys played, I think right before, for us which is always the worst feeling having you guys ever play like, any, anytime that we have to play anytime 
I'm just like, what are we fucking doing? Like, there's no way to fuck. Like, you're you're one of the worst bands to ever have to follow because it's just like there's the energy is not going to be. It's like the amount of mosh parts and like shit like that, and then it's like, all right, here's our jangly guitars, and I'm just going to yell at you. So the energy anyway, is there, and the energy any, matters. Yeah, yeah. Any, yeah anyway. I just remember that changeover was so fucking stressful because like oh, they had God. they had one guy that was doing everything and everything. there was like and it was like 12 minutes to change over and then you're just looking at okay we're supposed to have been started so I'm already oh, taking songs no. off the, I'm I'm already taking yeah, songs yeah. off that list where I'm just like well don't have time for that don't have time for that it's just like yeah that was our uh, first time playing that festival too like, that was our first time oh, at shit. download yeah. and it was the first show of the tour and oh my we god had flight complications so like i that whole day is like uh it's just a blur. like a, a blur to me yeah because i was jet lagged and i was probably sleeping till 30 minutes before we were you know <laughs> supposed to, to set up on stage yeah so i just got out there just like oh my god what's happening you know but uh yeah, it, it ended up being really cool, and yeah, I it was just that feeling, that nightmare feeling of rushing to to, oh. to just like, oh god, yeah. I try to use those experiences to help with sound and fury stuff, where I'm like, I want to apply all the things that I experience and learn doing this to you know yeah. the festival and try to like make it as smooth as possible you know sometimes it's just unavoidable shit happens you know but i at least you know make the effort to yeah i I eventually was wanted to talk to you about specifics with sound and fury and we'll get there but like one of the things that i was definitely going to make a point to say is like you truly have the most behind the scenes experience of like (laughs) from across the world like okay this festival uh i really liked this aspect of like what they did for their bands and like how they made them feel comfortable and like the accommodations or whatever it was you know like sometimes the simplest things can make a band's entire day you know what i'm saying yes and taking, absolutely take, taking account of that and then also on top of it like yeah what's the most cost effective but also smoothest way to make sure bands can get on get on and off stage in the quickest amount of time and all that sort of stuff so Let's travel way back further in time again. What was the first time you ever recorded? What band was that with? Was it No Was it a No Allegiance? Was it Hurricane No? Alana? Yeah, yeah. We never recorded with No Allegiance, and then I would have. Yeah, her, uh, yeah, for sure. Hurricane Rana. We did a. Um, we did a live demo. So we used to go in Whittier. There was this practice space, and uh, we used to. That's where we would go to practice because we didn't. None of us had anywhere else to do that at. You know, so. So we would go there and you could pay like extra and they would just record your session. So that's what we did. We just, so we just played live, did the songs over and over again for whatever the like hour or two hours that we rented the space and then just took the best takes and put them, put them on a, pressed them on a CD at home, you know, like just burning, burning CDs. Even yeah, the yeah, vocals, yeah, yeah. You guys are all in the same room, and it's just like a mic. Yeah, is it? Are they? Are the tracks separated in any capacity? They are. They are separated. It's, everything was individually mic'd, but we were just playing live, you know. And sure. I, I think okay. a lot of bands, you know, record like that still. I, I don't know. It's probably not common now as as it was then, but uh, yeah, it, it turned out like decent enough where it was like, yeah. okay, yeah, this is this is good enough to start passing around. So. 
that was the first uh, yeah that was the first band that i was aware of that with with you being in yeah that was that that, yeah that was a band that let me tell you i was like oh that band is on i'm standing so far away from (laughs) what's happening like i've i've i between that band and Donnybrook, those are the two bands that I was like, I am scared <laughs> at this show. Like I, this is the, this is the least my energy for for like what I know I can participate with, but I'm happy that it exists and I'm happy everybody else is able right. to enjoy this in their own way. But I was like, man, I am not anywhere near the front for this. I'm scared. Yeah, we were we were definitely like trying to put that vibe out there too that was like our that was like our our uh yeah that was our feelings at the time we just like we gotta be a- aggressive and angry as scary and as possible we really yeah. felt that way you know yeah it was just like we were tr- you know that's what that's what we wanted to do exactly and that was that was a lot of fun i mean the, those that band was really cool and it was a lot of my firsts happened with that band and uh yeah you know, we never did too much. We had demos and I was gonna ask if that if that band actually did any like late had any stuff with labels at all. We talked to labels and the one that I remember uh for sure was Prime Directive, which is Oh shit, okay, yeah. Chase Chase Corum, which yeah, he did what he do? He did like for sure he did Portrait of the God Portrait of a Goddess Bleeding Through. Yeah. Uh record and Man, I, he didn't do a ton of stuff, but I believe it would it would all been local local stuff. And uh, yeah, we, yeah. we chatted with him, and it just never happened. I don't I don't even remember why. Or we kind of like slowed down for a minute because we were having trouble getting booked at venues. Like <laughs> venues weren't wanting us to come in there and cause trouble. So that might have been part of the part of the you reason were a why we were. Yeah, yeah, that might have that might have like been the beginning of the downfall of the band, but uh yeah, we we never never had like a, a true release or anything. We just had a couple different demos and I I think both demos had it was like we did the live demo and then we did a second demo where it was actually tracked in a studio, but it was the same songs maybe plus a couple of other songs or something. So, <clears throat> and we had other material written and stuff that never got recorded and yeah. So were, I think you had mentioned that there was maybe songs from Donnie Brook that came from No No Allegiance as well as, uh, yeah, yeah, as Hurricane. Uh, yeah, both both bands. I had like unused material and just ended up kind of like adjusting that, it a little, and then yeah. Is that what what ended up on that first Donnie Brook seven inch? yes actually yes it was like one song from each band ended up being on the uh on the first donnie book release yeah so when i was doing a little bit of research what can you tell me about the sound salon in hollywood oh, shit. like <laughs> like yeah, that... <laughs> i looked i looked at that and i was like this strikes me as a place that you guys were probably just playing paying hourly to go like have an mm-hmm. actual recording studio was it that kind of a vibe absolutely yeah like it was so that i I would say that was the first time being at an actual studio like the the second demo that hurricane rana did yeah it was tracked like like a studio tracking you know separately but it wasn't like a real proper studio then we go there for that record and that was like a real studio so that was like our first real studio experience we were 
just couldn't believe it. It to us that was the coolest thing in the world. We didn't know anything about the studio. I don't even know how we found it necessarily. I just knew that like at the time all, Probably all fucking of us LA said, Weekly or some shit. Seriously, I, I believe yeah. it might it might have been something like like looking in the back pages of like a, a something, you know, like yeah. whatever. And um I remember uh, at that time all of us in the band were we we had jobs, you know, we were working working people, you know. And so we we all had money saved up for for doing stuff like that. So like I I'm sure the recording was way too much money for what ended up being produced from it, but we didn't care. We're just like, dude, we're in a studio. Like we we have real studio time and there's an yeah. engineer and, and all this stuff, you know, and like it got mixed and mastered and blah blah blah. And like it's still a pretty lackluster recording, but it it like, you know it means the world to me and then it was... and that came out on 1917 right yeah yeah that was the first 1917 release basically like the label started to put the record out it was like we we didn't have a label so we used our resources that were close to us which was you know one of my best friends sean riley and he's just good with things you know he's just one of those guys that's just smart so yeah. he's like, oh, let's, I'll just start a label and put it out. And I was like, all right. And then, you know, he ended up doing a lot after that. So, totally. Um, yeah. Well, so that was your first time, obviously, having something on vinyl, too. Was something was vinyl something that was exciting to you? Was Were you interested in vinyl? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we it, it was I still have, you know, my copies of that that record on vinyl and CD. We did CDs as well, which is kind of funny like <laughs> yeah well i mean <laughs> thinking about you know you talking about the tears for fear seven inch like i'm wondering if that was one of those situations where you're like oh shit now i have one you know oh absolutely yeah i have like uh I, I hoard music like that so i have multiple copies of any record that i had anything to do with in any As capacity you should, yeah so, yeah whether yeah. it be like you know layout or you know did, did a little guest spot on something or whatever over the years yeah so i i i love i still like that yeah that definitely influenced the way that i am now like the physical having a record to me is just so cool like i still try to li i listen to my records you know i don't they don't just sit there like i sit actually there, put yeah. them on yeah yeah so um yeah. what was was donnie brooke the first band that you toured with you, you know not a yes and no because hurricane rana technically it depends on what you consider a tour because okay. hurricane rana we played out of state we okay. did this like we went as far as seattle so we did like we left we did like an orange county show or something with the scars of tomorrow so this band that was a band that we met because the second show that uh, hurricane rana ever played the first one was coos cafe full circle so our yeah first yeah, show yeah. Was Coos Cafe booked by Brandon Chappetti. Um Bleeding Through for sure played. They were the headliner. I don't remember who else played, but, you know, very time and place type of bands like Fallen Angel or maybe, you know, they, one of our early shows, Event Sevenfold, definitely, definitely played, so... But let me, you know, let me, so, let me let me hit you with one very specific band that I'm curious if you have anything that you remember and if this this if if this question flops, we can cut it. But okay. <laughs> do you remember a band called Mateau? 
Oh yeah, the pirates. Absolutely. The pirate band. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Dude. <laughs> so for people listening, there is a band from I think they're an Orange County band called Mateau. South, yeah, specifically South Orange County. Yeah. I don't remember how South, but you know, like I'm gonna assume like Laguna or something like that, like somewhere down there. Yeah. So okay, so East Coast, you get fucking ink and dagger, right? This sick ass band that's like we're gonna be vampires, right? vampires, and, like, yeah. and they actually pull it off, and it's fucking sick. Like on paper, shouldn't work, but actually worked. This band was like, we're gonna be pirates. And yeah. band, oh my god, I have I so many uh, swash memories of their shows. Swashbuckling straight edge, straight edge, yeah, swashbuckling straight edge, man, like. Those were some of the most fun, cool shows because I feel like when I think about that time period, it feels like they had like a hundred friends and yeah, all right. of their friends, no matter how bad the band might have been, <laughs> it didn't matter because their friends were just repping for them and they would wear the pirate costumes and all right. that stuff. You know, it was like a lot of fun. So I have yeah, fond I... memories of that band, but I'm sure if I listened to it now, I would oh my god i would laugh laugh my ass off there was like that this one you might not know there were some kids that i knew there was a band called crustacean nation that crustacean nation dude one of those kids at almost every show he was the guy and in between uh, any band songs he would scream the name he would just crustacean nation like all the time dave Dave, it's a singer (laughs) so that was a real thing yeah i i have that memory for sure yeah i have no idea what they sounded like no uh, clue. I, I i'm sure i saw them play but uh i don't the, i don't remember to give you a vibe they definitely had a song called like eat shell and die you know like oh my it was God, just, yeah. <laughs> very 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 but a very coos experience is what i'm yeah yeah at. that was like you a know? coos a coos band for sure yeah there was one other band i mean we could this is the last one i'll bring yeah. up that period that was like interesting but uh they were called stand x stand x like a straight edge band yeah from you know from also from south orange county and uh they were so bad sorry to (laughs) some of my friends were in that band but it was just so bad and they had this lyric i got your back like jam sport and i i always thought (laughs) that was really cool that one lyric because it's just very clever but uh, yeah just that was like that makes me think of that era of coups it's like very specific like right all the same bands just played basically every week you know it'd just be like yeah. a rotating cast of bands that would play and uh some of them were horrible and some of them were like really fucking good but uh the band that I, it was the band that i probably saw the most there was like taken like that was like a band taken, that oh like, my god yeah, yeah. like saw very... them millions of times yeah and same with bleeding through and you know, just all, yeah. That was a cool, cool time period. Very, very regional specific. Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math, that's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com you can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. I didn't mean to cut you off. So you you did, uh, so the tour started likely like Coos Cafe. 
and then you guys so, yeah yeah and then we went up i feel like there was like one one northern california show like somewhere weird like redding california or something like that yeah yeah yeah. then there we went all, like a, all there was used to be like a like a a legion hall situation in redding I yeah it was for sure something like that like and this was 2001 maybe okay. 2000 i think yeah. 2001 yeah and uh, and then from there, just skipped, just drove our asses off, went all the way up to Portland, Oregon, and then played Portland, and then went to Seattle, played Seattle, and then I'm pretty sure just drove all the way home from there, like in a minivan. I was about to ask you, so know. what were you what were you driving, and what do you yeah. remember? I remember being in a minivan and bringing like too many people with us that didn't even need to be there. Just like the homies came with get us. In the, and just get like, in the van. Let's go. Yeah. Just had the, the best fucking time ever. Like shows were not good, but it didn't matter because it was just all the friends there. Did they all happen? They it fun. Did they actually all happen? I think so. I don't, I don't remember the actual real deal routing of it. So maybe there was, shows that got canceled and that's why we ended up driving for you know further so up. far yeah. yeah but um <clears throat> i just remember it being uh, amazing and having a great time and meeting a lot of people that was like the first time really going far to a show in another city like that and meeting people that i still am friends with today you know that was 20 plus years ago it's crazy but uh, one of the most old head things that i always say to young bands is like the people you meet on your first European tour, you're gonna fucking know. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. For the rest of your life, like absolutely. Like, I mean, your first yeah. first full U.S. tour, absolutely the same as well. Like, yeah, you're gonna, same. Yeah, those friendships nope. are are everlasting. But yeah, it's yeah. it's one those of those experiences. Things. Those experiences still, yeah, are are with me today. First U.S. tour, first European tour, and like, yeah, it's was so that the, yeah that was Europe the first place that you went uh that was not in the u.s like or was it did you go anywhere else no we played in uh Tijuana. remember i don't know if you remember when shows were happening down there all, all the, the time, time yeah. you know but it would basically be mostly people coming down from san diego but uh they had their own scene and their own bands and they still do today but there was specifically that time where it was like very very often shows were happening down there and um it's because it, you remember dino this yes, kid, this kid Dino. Yeah, he sang in a band that I played in for a little while called Laid, Laid to Rest. Rest. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, do some scare tactic and stuff. Um, he lived there, and so he was just the guy. You know, when you have when you have a guy that motivated, the scene just kind of thrives because he was just booking so many shows down there. So, God, yeah. I don't know if I realized that he was the Tijuana booker. I don't think I ever realized yeah. that. I met him when he, because pro- he eventually ended up living in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. He did shows yeah. in LA, San Diego, and Tijuana. I think his thing was called Thousand Knives, right? That's, I think oh that was God. like his. Jesus, his... you're taking me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was his like promotion company, I guess. Yeah. And, right, uh, right. Okay. I still see him here and there. He lives a. Uh, He's married, lives in Belgium, somewhere in Europe. Oh, yeah, wow. so I still I still run into him every now and then. Yeah, it's okay. kind of crazy. But, That's awesome. But yeah, so so uh yeah, so I would if you consider that a tour, that would have been my first tour. If not, the real first tour would have been with Donnie Brook, yes, in two thousand four. We did a full like six week, maybe more, six week US, Canada, our first time in Canada and everything. It was 
it was long and crazy and like one of the coolest experiences of my life. And I, I can't oh, think, man. uh, Corey, Corey Williams, internal affairs, like that was all his doing. He booked a tour for internal affairs and then asked us to hop on it. And so, yeah, that was our first time like going around the country. Were you, did you, did you take the touring in a positive way? Like, was it something that you were excited to do all the time? And like, has that, did that carry over? Cause obviously you're, you're someone who has toured a billion times at this point. Like, do you, do you still find the things in it that you appreciated then now? Yeah, absolutely. There, there was like dips, you know, where there's times where I'm like burnt out and stuff like that. But what's helped a lot is over the last decade plus, I have a job as well. So it, it relieved a lot of the, the pressure that I, I would feel from being on tour. So it's, it's easier for me now. It's like, it feels like more of a, it, 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 like kind of vacation or something, you know, it just has yeah. a different, it's a different vibe when you know that, you know, you're, you're not, not every, out there. Not every dime you know? is going to matter when you get back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there was <clears throat> many years where it, it was like that. So it, it puts stress that, uh, that I, you know, I don't really like to feel so. So yeah, I, I definitely do still feel that. Yeah. So you joined terror in 2006 or something, right? Is that about right? Yeah. Six. Yeah. Was the first record that you played on the damned and the shamed? Was that the first Right. Yeah, that was the first one I played on, but always the hard way, the record before that. I'm in I'm in the band and in the layout and you know, credited as being in the band, but I didn't get to play on the record. So um Damn the Shame was the first one like in the studio with with the band and like actually sitting there recording my guitar tracks and stuff. Yeah. Because I look at terror specifically as like such an interesting entity for a plethora of reasons but um <laughs> one of the things that i found always interesting was like nick jet is sort of credited as like primary songwriter right that's kind of is that fair to say yeah yeah overall yes i would say he contributed the, the most yeah and i uh, guess what i was what i wanted to ask you was did it is there the situation where like he has the general idea then brings it to everybody else and then you guys build off of that? Is that sort of the idea? Now, yes, that when when he yes, he does do that and that's the way it goes when when he does do that, but also, you know, we have other songwriters in the band as well now and have for a while like Jordan is a huge contributor, Chris Linkovich is now a huge contributor and then like um Todd Jones is back in the mix, like helping out a lot with like pro producing and song helping songwriting, everything like that. And uh, so there was a time though, I don't necessarily remember how many records or for how much time, but it was like straight up. It was everything kind of fell on his shoulders where Todd exited the band. <clears throat> the band's going to continue going and he just kind of like stepped up and was just like, I'll just, I'll just take care of this. I'll just I'm do the it. Guy so now. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a lot of it, you know, in those years where it's just like straight up Nick, you know, I would say like 99% Nick, whereas like there's, there was changes here and there and people, I'm sure people added little, little things in that, totally. but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Nick was the songwriter. So got yeah, it. It's he, he's like, man, he's a, 
he's an anomaly, man. That guy's <laughs> crazy. There's a tour that I want to ask you about with 2024 vision. Okay. <laughs> Martin, how did the 10 for 10 tour work? Man, that is like, I don't know. I'm like impressed even for the time that was ambitious. And, and I don't, uh, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to get into anyone's financials. Right. But I'm right. just like, were the bands paid okay on that? I don't remember having an issue with what, like it, it made sense for us. I, I don't come know from about sponsorships. Any, like, that's what I would have to assume. I think that it did, but um, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Cause that's so many bands. So many bands that were established and established needed, as fuck. Yes. Yeah. Needed money. And, and there was a lot of show. It was, sh- it looked 2024 vision. Looking back, there was a lot of shows that like, I'm shocked that the turnout was what it was. It's like playing these shows with all these amazing bands. And there's just like, not a lot of people there for a $10. Like, are you kidding me? Like, why, where are you? Why are you not okay. here? So that also, I mean, I, I want to put a pin in that for a second because you're okay. someone specifically that I want to pick your brain about one thing that has, I brought up to fucking somebody else on this show, maybe like two years ago or something. But um, anyway, I'll get to that in a second. But okay. I mean, I specifically remember going to that tour at like the glass house. I mean, I remember at that show, at least it was, I think it had like terror, poison the well, um, mm-hmm. ghost inside. I don't think VOD was on that that part of it because I would have yeah. I would have been amped as fuck because everyone liked yeah. my favorites. But <laughs> hell yeah. But anyway, too. I just remember thinking like 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 as as that tour has come up in conversation, and for people listening who maybe don't even know what we're talking about, there was a tour in like two thousand seven, somewhere maybe? between two thousand seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That had ten bands that were all very established, hardworking bands. The show was ten dollars. It started yeah. at probably what, like four p.m. Some shit I like guess that. Oh so, yeah, I don't really remember. Uh, I don't really. Yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> it had to have, I would assume. Yeah. But it's like these are bands that, like, theoretically, wouldn't be stoked taking seven hundred dollars a night on this tour. You know what I'm saying? Like, like right, that. Right. That would seem not enough to get everybody through on the road. So, like, it's one of these situations that I, I've just thought about over the years where i'm like man how did this tour successfully happen, happen? i'm looking at i just as you were talking i was like yes please the, the the band list yeah poison the well mad ball bane vod terror vision they were only on uh, like a small amount crime and yeah. stereo they were on the whole thing i think war of ages death before dishonor trapped under ice the mongoloids the oh ghost God. inside this is hell yeah so that's i remember crazy. yeah there was like some bands did some portions of it and blah 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 went into canada and everything yeah i i that tour is like an anomaly to me it's just like it couldn't was happen it a, today right no was it a, that's, <laughs> that's a fucking fest that is a, that's a traveling fest yeah, uh, exactly. yeah. also was it a rotating schedule every single day yeah for the most part, I think it was, but like some bands, like we were kind of like locked into a certain time of the time of the show, you know, like maybe would flip flop a little bit, but um, I don't believe that we ever closed out the show. 
I think Poison the Well was like that kind the of ultimate closer. Like, yeah. Them and like Madball seem like they would probably be like yeah. towards and the And then top. maybe like maybe when VOD jumped on, like maybe they were the closer if we played in, you know, New Long York Island. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was something like that where it, it, it did kind of like shift around. But um, yeah. Okay, so what I wanted to... Uh, so anyway... I someone someone out there listening, I want someone out there to start a documentary style podcast to sort of try to get in the weeds and ex- <laughs> I, I need like a a gumshoe motherfucker to figure yeah. out I want people interviewed, I want the promoters interviewed, I want I need the behind the scenes on how this thing happened. Okay, I can, so, I can give you two two let me just give two yeah. people to hit up right now because there's one promoter that I you should for sure hit up. He was the Canadian promoter. His name is John F. Kennedy. And he has a band. <laughs> yeah, he has a band called E-Town Beatdown. He's from Edmonton. And he booked the show in Edmonton. His band might have played, but he was for sure the promoter. But he got kicked out of his own show moshing when Terror was playing. So <laughs> I feel like that's the guy you got to contact first. And then okay. second would be Paul Conroy, who... I feel like it was all his thing. Maybe he he had he had a huge hand in it. Though that's who you need to hit up. So track okay, sure. Down. Yeah, yeah. So for people listening, <laughs> it's going to be very easy to find a guy named John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. <laughs> by googling him. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So what I wanted to ask about though was something that I've also reflected on in the early two thousands to like let's say two thousand. we'll say 2000 to 2005 i specifically was working at a record store in burbank called backside that Mm. we were selling we had a punk and hardcore section we were selling cds fucking hand over foot you know what i'm saying like the amount of like fucking darkest hour cds and shit like that the victory records like (laughs) that stuff flying off the shelves right Right. but these and you you know i don't want to i don't want to assume numbers or things like that but you hear rumors that like some of these victory bands or like bands on trust kill bands on ferret were selling you know upwards of like 40,000 cd's 60,000 cd's yeah. you know that was like a common thing to hear about but these bands were still playing chain reaction and they weren't sold out right yeah yeah that was how that was a weird time <laughs> how? how yeah what what oh, man, what I... is it <laughs> What what it, like what is the situation to where these bands were selling way more albums than like bands would ever sell today, but the shows I, were not the same. Maybe what do you think that is? One one thing that could possibly contribute to that is that at that time maybe uh, they were counting wholesale as sales, so maybe like a label like I don't know like one of the ones you mentioned like Ferret or something they ship. 10,000 CDs to Germany and then from Germany that's the euro distributor or something so on the on the numbers side of things it's like it's that's 10,000 CDs yeah, sold yeah, yeah I don't know that for sure especially because at that time that was like those sort of thoughts were so far away from me I never I never really even thought about those things at that time but um i don't think anyone i don't think any of the bands certainly did you know yeah and like the weird sound scan stuff at that time like it was straight up you you had a piece of paper and you would just write numbers in what you sold 
on tour for that day and then fax it to someone at the end of yeah. the day. So it's like, I'm sure a lot of those bands did sell a, a lot of records. And, you know, at that time, people were getting paid for selling a lot of records still. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like how it is now with streaming and stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure they have the money to to show for it, but I I don't know. I just, it it's just, just seemed a lot lawless like, kind of, you know? I'm wondering if it's like a, if it's a product of, it being harder to promote tours because the internet wasn't as thriving as it as it obviously became you know there was no obviously no real social media aside from like early myspace but that didn't even come until you know the like 2000 what maybe like five 2006 yeah, I, I can't remember yeah. i can't remember but but anyway it's like yeah i think about that where i'm like these bands were selling way more than bands ever would sell today for the most part. yeah yeah for the most but, part yeah for sure but these tours were still like very very you know local specific to where it's like oh it's the same you know 200 kids that are coming out to all these shows whereas like but they probably sold 2,000 3,000 4,000 cds in this specific market you know what I'm saying? it's just crazy <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe maybe those cds are like sitting on a shelf somewhere at some like record store that nobody goes to anymore or something like that i feel like that has to be part of the situation where it's like cds shipped counted for cds sold i believe but i could be totally wrong about that i I really i really don't know but i have heard conversations like that back then you know when people were talking about those sort of things a lot and people were selling a lot of records and stuff like that but um actually i have a i have have an interesting label question for you as a member of terror and granted like i know you you joined the band a little bit later but something that i've always been very fascinated about with terror specifically is y'all have been on every label (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah i'm saying like like i mean even the fact that some of those like i think about lowest of the low has been on that record itself has been on four different labels or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like re-released several different times, several different ways or whatever. Um, yep. But I mean, you know, just off the top of my head, you're on Pure Noise now, but you guys have obviously done like, a, yeah, uh, Victory Reaper, um, Century Media, you know, there's like yeah. Bridge Nine, like so many labels. So I guess what I'm getting at is what do you, what, what would you look for in a label today? You know what I'm saying? Like, is there something that like, when, when that comes up, it's like, okay, this is what we need. Do you feel like you guys have like such an understanding of like what a label is to you that it's easier or harder now to like figure out something like that? Yeah. So we have this conversation a lot, especially me and Scott. Um, Cause we will, the two of us will, brainstorm a lot of marketing ideas and that sort of thing for the band which is kind of crazy that we're in that position because what we talk about is that generally you you expect the label to handle the marketing side of things and we've been in a lot of situations where they just like don't or they drop the ball or something so it, it falls on us you know it's like me and Scott are brainstorming something. Okay, we, you know, let's let's print a bunch of posters. Let's make stickers. So I'm sitting on the computer designing everything. And then I'm getting shit printed. And like, we're actively the ones out there, like putting up posters and sticking the stickers everywhere and stuff like that. And like crazy stuff where you would, mo- I would feel like 
any person not in a band who's con- like buying music is 100% assuming that the label handles all of that kind of stuff. And then most, even most bands are like, oh yeah, shouldn't the label be handling that sort of thing? But <laughs> in reality, reality, it ends up, you know, I don't know what, if that's just our experience, or I'm sure there's a lot of bands that go through the same thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of bands that get everything taken care of for them. But in our experience, there's been a, a lot of situations where, you know, we, we wind up doing a lot of work. And so what we look for is just straight up someone who just like gives a shit, who's just like excited about doing a record, you know, who will totally put in, just put in the effort, you know, it doesn't even, doesn't even matter. Like it doesn't have to be a lot of money or anything like that. It's just like, dude, like care about what you're putting out and that's very think of some cool shit yeah that's very relatable like i think that there's it's sometimes a symptom of terror is a very established band so like you know label a label b label c might think oh well they obviously have a vision so we'll just we'll just lay off and let them do their thing (laughs) without having that conversation to where then you guys are like man we're having to fucking do everything so we've been in that situation in the past not to name name names of labels or anything like that but like it, it got to a point sometimes where you're just like, could you just like throw out ideas and just let us say no to them? Like, just, just, <laughs> just help. Us, just show us that you care, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the number one thing that we're looking for now. Or if it's something crazy, you know, like if it just like, if it's the, the label band partnership that's the crazy thing about it then that would be cool as well like something insane like i'm not saying this is whatever happened or or was or was yeah. talked about but like if like psychopathic records you know the 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 icp like if you uh insane clown posse like that's if right. you do something insane like that like where they're the ones putting your record out it's like so we like talked about not that label specifically but other stuff where it's like wouldn't it be crazy yeah if we did a record on this label because it's you know it'd be insane to have that label's name on your record you know yeah 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 so that's a, that's another aspect of it that we talk about all the time because you know we're so used to doing yeah yeah the conversation happens because and it, it comes from like us being so used to doing a lot of stuff on our own that we've learned to not place a lot of importance on what the label actually is anymore it's like if we're gonna do if there's a label's gonna put it out it's like let's just do something that's cool and crazy then because what does it matter anyways if we're gonna be doing it all ourselves type of thing you know and i'm not i'm not saying that in a sense of like i'm not talking about pure noise or anything like that of course uh, this is stuff that's happened over you know over years and years years and years and years yeah of course i mean and and, you know like no disrespect to labels we're happy they exist and everything like that but like to a consumer in 2024 i think a lot of kids or people you know whatever just kind of think of labels as just the different web store they have to order the record yeah absolutely i mean that's it's crazy you see a lot of like rappers for years have they, they have their own labels, you know, and yep. it's like that might, you know, that, that that's a pretty cool way to go about it. And then, you know, then you have some like, other bigger yeah. label be your distro type of thing. But, um, but yeah, we have those conversations a lot. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk Sound and Fury before we wrap up. Um, congratulations. You, you're doing it again. Yes, uh, another year. Yeah. <laughs> 
do you <laughs> i didn't even i don't even have this question written down but it, it made me think of it do you how many years have you is like as soon as the last note gets hit on stage do you say do we need to do another one <laughs> you know i'm straight up like my my outlook on it all is very positive so that's when i'm the most motivated is actually when the when the, the last, last note ends and i'm like that's i'm sick. like yes like we got through that and it was amazing and like now what's next you know like that kind of thing so i have a i have a very positive outlook on it i mean there's definitely times where i'm stressed the fuck out and you know want to do something crazy but for the most part it's it's a it's a positive what do you thing. what do you do the day after sounded fury well this or 2023 i packed and then flew to europe the next day oh start, my god to dude. start a tour but if i don't have to do that if it's nothing crazy like that then straight up like just be uh horizontal for as long <laughs> as i possibly can you know just like yep. lay and relax you know and, okay so uh, here's... yeah just kind of yeah so i wanted to ask you when it comes to starting the con you know like okay we're doing it again do you start with the headliner and build back from there? Like, do you, is, is the headliner the first thing that you try to, to lock in before you start filling in the rest of the spaces? Sometimes. Yes. Not, I would, I wouldn't say always though. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the, whoever, whatever band is closing is obviously an important thing, but I, you know, every, everything, every band feels so, important to us like where they fit in on the schedule so and i and i never want to we never want to be in a position where we're forgetting about you know the locals and of course the ba the bands that i'm lucky enough to because i get to tour so much like i get to see a lot of bands that are new and you know maybe haven't had a chance to play a lot of shows and stuff like that so it's really cool to be able to get the band from a certain city that is new and everyone in that specific scene is like very happy about and then bring them over and then hopefully have all those people from that scene want to come over here and see them play at Sound of Fury along with a bunch of other bands that they most likely enjoy. Yeah. So, so like sometimes that, is the first thing in my head depending on it just really depends on the year and the situation and sometimes we already know like the year before you know what's going to happen that following year so right like so yeah it, it really it really it really varies it, it changes from year to year but uh, got it but that does that does happen for sure yeah where we're like we build around who's closing. So I guess what, you know, another headliner-ish question is if the headliner that you had in mind all of a sudden like isn't working out and you're like, fuck, like, do you guys often have backup plans or um, how does that, has that ever played out in the past? You don't have to like name names or anything like that, but like, has, has that sort of stress ever happened for you? Not that I can remember. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had a situation where somebody backed out but 
we always de- we always have backup plans for sure okay. especially with a uh, Riley is really good with that kind of stuff you know he he thinks he thinks about everything so there's always a plan for the plan and, and so forth yeah so he uh yeah i can yeah i can't think of a a specific situation but um how often do you have i was thinking about this like how often do you have to or have you ever had to take a step back sometimes where you're like maybe feeling like you guys are overthinking things and things like that and just kind of be like yo people are gonna come to this it's gonna be great it's gonna be great because it's such an established thing at this point right um i know you always are thinking to you want it to be better than the year before the better than the year before or whatever but do you feel like that's even a really real like uh like like an actual expectation that you can meet at this point yeah i i totally so i know what you mean exactly and it's it's uh it's a weird position to be in where you know i don't know like i'm terrified of getting into a position like that where i'm constantly trying to or we you know constantly trying to be better than the year before because like you said it's I don't know. It's it's like that's up. It's like up to the it's up to the consumer to decide yeah, what's yeah. better. You know what I'm saying? So in our in our minds, I, I don't really feel that we're trying to outdo ourselves every year. It's just you know we just take each year as it comes, and just try to make an experience that everyone's gonna enjoy. You know, that's like the main the main thing is because yeah it's it, it's tough you know when when you get into the cycle of like we, we got to be better we got to be better we got to be better and then it's like well yeah well what's better what's bigger like it's like totally. i guess you can measure it by how many people come every year but that doesn't necessarily ha- that's not everything you know right that so. doesn't dictate like the enjoyment of all of those people right it just it's just bodies on it's just bodies in the room or outside yeah Uh, like the more people the better obviously you know totally yeah yeah, many people that want to come you know but i don't think that that's necessarily the the motivation of of a lot of the stuff yeah what's what's the what's the largest turnout that you guys have had at this point uh each year has been the largest since since 2016 when you know we started doing it in the city of los angeles yeah um every year has has topped the year previous so yeah we're looking what, what was last year uh it was about six thousand that's sick i mean i also take into account that like when you guys are doing it inside venues venues have capacity so like that limits how many people can come totally yeah i think about that where you know half heart is playing this year and they also played in 20 uh 19 yeah and and that was that was at the belasco before before the belasco was a place that was doing hardcore shows and it wasn't owned it wasn't owned by live nation or anything like that so capacity was a little different back then but um that you know that was insane when when we put that on sale it was an instant every single ticket was gone you know to yeah to the point where people were accusing us of like using bots to like Oh my god! Reset. Yeah, like all this weird stuff like that. It's like no, it's just you know just people actually want to see these bands. <laughs> yeah, and that was that year was less than half of the people that were attending last year, right? So, you know, so it goes to show that there's been like 
yeah, there's been this this kind of like steady steady growth and it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's it's it can be a little nerve wracking because trying to accommodate more and more people gets harder and harder, and you know it's just a lot more personalities to deal with and stuff. But um, I was gonna ask you like doing it as long as you have now every year, I imagine still manages to present new challenges. Um, are you able? <laughs> are you able to? Do you feel like you're able to problem solve more confidently? Um, like as the years go on, you know, like, like, like are you please one thousand percent? Yeah, every year is a learning experience so far, and it's like, eh, I, I enjoy it. You know, I I don't I know that there's gonna be issues and pitfalls and stuff like that, and I I, I do enjoy the problem solving aspect of it, and it's kind of crazy how when you think about it, a, a lot of the times, a lot of the people who are experiencing those issues will never know the lengths that you're actually going through to, to help them and remedy that situation. Um, so it's almost like this selfless sort of thing, you know, it's just like, oh, they don't know that it's all, it's all for them, you know? And that we have thought about every little thing, every, every, which every way. Thing. And yeah. then still, no matter how much you think about it, sometimes a curveball gets thrown at you. Like last year, we had a situation where this fire marshal dislike derailed everything and even before that like a lot of people don't know behind the scenes stuff where you know we we ended up doing it in a different section of the park than we had originally confirmed because uh, a, a much larger more established edm festival just kind of came in and booted us oh. out and trying to go against them would be like going against the mafia or something or like the U S government. It just would have been impossible. Like oh my you God, can't, yeah. you just can't, you just have to bow down and be like, okay, well, we'll just figure something else out. And it was, it was borderline disastrous for us. You know, we were, we were kind of scrambling and we ended up figuring it out and fig, you know, remedying the situation, but it wasn't exactly what we had originally wanted. And that's just something that, most people will never know about you know they just they just see that it's happening here and uh, yeah oh it was supposed to be here they're okay and then you know then they might complain about this or that but it's like man you know we're doing you know we're doing we're doing our best here and i wanted to 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 lastly ask you um as someone who's now been doing this fest for ever and ever with obviously with with riley and and all of, and yeah. everything like that like it's it's i know it's a it's a collaborative effort but um if a kid listening you know i'm just gonna throw out a place i'm not trying to I'm, I'm not trying to generalize any sort of location but let's just sort of say like if a kid in fucking i'm trying to think of a place that i don't know has a thriving fucking music festival if a kid in I'm just gonna throw it out, Missoula, Montana. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. That's... I, I'm really, I'm really going for it here. Yeah. Kid in Missoula, Montana says, "I want to do a, I want to do a fest." What do you think is the first thing and most important thing for someone who wants to do a fest to focus on? Is uh, I think what they should focus on first is their local scene and whether whether their energy and focus should be on a festival or whether it should be on building up their local scene and maybe starting a band or something like that, or like creating, creating something else more necessary, 
if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah that, that, I would say that would be the first thing is like, just, you know, what's, you know, what is it? Just kind of introspection. Look at, look at what you guys have go, uh, going on right now and, and ask yourself, is there something else that I could put my dedication towards that would be more beneficial for, for everybody? What about if it's like a place that actually does have a thriving scene? Is there, is there anything that comes to mind for, uh, for making the best possible situation? Yeah, I guess hmm, that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Um, do, you, do you think it's like, do you think it's the bands? Do you think it's the venue? Do you think it's, um, it's both of those things. Hospitality. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would say like as much as, um, bad hospitality can be just so annoying from the band's perspective that's not you know that's not the the end all right there the end all be all, yeah. I, I, yeah i would say venue does have a lot to do with it but also it's like you know you could do you could do it in a nice venue with a sound system and blah 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 and all stuff in a bar but you could also do it in a vfw hall just like this shit has been done for so many decades. You know, it's like it exists within and beyond those things, you know? And like, so I guess like, yeah, it, it all, it all depends on, I guess it all depends on your, um, your, your goals and your motivation in the end. Like, what is it that you're trying to do with this festival? So. I think that's really, I think that's actually a great key because the last thing you want to do is be doing it for ego. You know, like if the person right. doing it is doing it for the sake of like wanting to show off that they can pull this off or, or are you doing <laughs> yeah, it actually, yeah. or are you doing it actually for the community and to help build something great? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's at a necessity. Sometimes you, these, you know, you can, a festival might pop up because you want to bring certain bands to your city that don't have the ability to come there and, you might not have the funds to make it happen. So maybe the way to do that is uh, book a lot more bands and yeah, sure, generate sure. more interest and that sort of thing. I'm not really sure what, what everyone's motivation would be, would be. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but yeah, I think that's something that. Yeah. Should make, be those people, about. make those people watch Wayne's world too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, hey, there's a lot to it. Yeah. It's not yeah if you book them, they will come. Um, uh, well, this has been fucking awesome. I really appreciate your time. Let me hit you with the last question, which what, which is, uh, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was for the first time, but it was a time that sticks out very, very much for me. And it was pretty recent. And that was in 2022. Yeah. 2022. When we first decided to do Sound and Fury outdoors at Exposition Park. And I, I've talked about this before. And, you know, the, the location is super, it's like a, a very near and dear place for me. It's like a place that means a lot to me. And I grew up going there so much. And it, it links me to my, my parents and the way they raised me and stuff like that. So being at the festival that year and like being on the stage and, and also getting to play, you know, terror played. And it was just like, my mother was there watching everything. And 
it was just this ultra emotional experience where I just that I had this realization like oh my god like this I get so used to just kind of like going headfirst into things and just making things happen and going and going and never stopping and I had this moment where I just like stopped and accepted that everything was happening around me and that I had a, a hand to play in all of this all of this chaos going on in front of me and like doing something that all my friends could be at and they were enjoying themselves and everyone was just having such a good fucking time and it just really all came down on me and hit me and I was like wow this is all the hard work has has yeah you know, had this this really cool payoff in, in experience yeah so that was, that's amazing that's yeah. amazing I love that uh Martin this has been really fun uh you're someone that that we don't see each other often whenever we catch up it always you you just feel like someone that i've known all my life even though like <laughs> yeah. you, you know what i'm saying like just because we've, of course we've, yeah we've been around and like seen a lot of the same things and like been around a lot of the same shows and venues and things like that so like whenever we talk it, you feel very familiar to me even though we've only spent x amount of hours within each other I and i and i, I totally can get it yeah the the moment that I knew that we were one in the same and I've, I've we've talked about it in the past was we were both standing side stage watching Boy Sets Fire. <laughs> yeah, one of the best. Yeah. Singing and, every word. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm and I'm mouthing along the lyrics to my life in the knife trade. And then I just hear yeah. this voice behind me just fucking in it, just singing along so hard. And I was like, Man, who is that? And I turned around and it was you. <laughs> I feel like what we just trap, like yeah. we just did like the the handshake hug. And I was yeah, like, this yeah, is my yeah. fucking guy right here. I love so that, anyway, uh, it's it's always a pleasure, man. It's always a pleasure. Thanks yeah, for doing this. Absolutely. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Martine for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was edited, produced, and made to sound so great by my boy Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And a reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now where Martine answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can find the link to the Patreon in the episode description or just go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. That's it for me. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.